0: You're listening to the expository preaching ministry of Kootenai Community Church, located in Kootenai, Idaho. We pray that Christ is exalted and your spirit is blessed by the teaching of God's Word. For more information about Kootenai Church, please visit us online at kootenaichurch.org. So if you would turn to chapter 7 in 1 Samuel... I'm just going to read uh, from <clears throat> verse 1 to verse 10. I was going to try to go through 12, but I will probably just go to verse 10. And the men of curiath Jearim came and took the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. From the day that the ark remained at Kiriath-Jerim, the time was long, for it was twenty years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Astaroth from among you, and direct your hearts to the Lord, and serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Astaroth, and served the Lord alone. Then Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. They gathered to Mizpah, and drew water, And poured it out before the Lord, and fasted on that day, and said, There, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah. The lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that he may save us from the hand of the Philistines. Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a whole burnt offering to the Lord. And Samuel cried to the Lord for Israel, and the Lord answered him. Now Samuel was offering up offering, And the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day against the Philistines and confused them so that they were routed before Israel. Then the men of Israel went out, Mizpah, and pursued the Philistines and struck them down as far as Bethkar, Father, we just thank you once again. We ask now that you would open our eyes to the understanding and give us also, Father, the relevance to us this day as your people. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. The last time in chapter 6, we completed the chapter and found that the Beth Shemites had sent messengers to the inhabitants of Kiriath jeria the Philistines have brought back the Ark of the Lord. Come down and take it up to you. Now, these Bethshemites had not mourned over their sinful practices, nor their irreverence of the Ark of the Covenant. Rather, they mourned over the heavy blow that the Lord had dealt them, killing all those who violated God's law. So they weren't repentant in their mourning. Rather, they were mourning because God had struck down these men who had violated God's word, and they looked at themselves. They asked the right question, though, having recognized that they were just as guilty and sinful as those whom God had struck, the Bethshemites who had violated God's ceremonial law regarding the care and treatment of the Ark of the Covenant, They asked the right question, but their response wasn't right. Their response was to send the ark away, not to repent and honor God by proper service and care of the ark of the covenant. So instead, they sent the ark away, much like what the Philistines had done. City to city, they sent the ark, and at every place that had that ark captive, they had a plague, and God gave them boils, and he gave them disease. Some of them died, so they were fearful of the ark. They had returned it to the Beth Shemites, and they didn't want to keep it for the fear that they themselves would be killed. <clears throat> they had celebrated with burnt offerings when they received the ark at Bethshemesh. They offered sacrifices when the ark of the Lord was returned. Now these unrepentant Bethshemites, they wanted nothing but to send the ark away. They didn't care. They were glad that Israel had it but they didn't really want the responsibility because they weren't repentant. How easily we can be duped thinking somehow we've repented of something and all of a sudden we're hit by it. True repentance is revealed in this passage. So as we go through, we'll see how God worked through his servants to bring about repentance. The relevance of this text for God's people, the one we covered in chapter 6, was clear. It is the reverence of a holy God that we serve. It isn't just praying and thinking that we're in worship, but if we don't have a right heart, we cannot lift our prayers up to the Lord. The Israelites didn't learn that. Remember back in chapter four, when the Israelites were coming after the, uh, were going to go in battle once again with the Philistines, they were fearful because they had just lost 4,000 men. So they did not want to go against the Philistines. Philistines were warriors, they were brutal warriors, and they had lost 4,000. Then, Before going to battle, they stopped and let us go to Shiloh, that we may take the ark with us. They didn't take the ark out of respect for Jehovah God. They took the ark to help somehow to assure their victory. That's what they did. So as we look at this text, we understand just how evil the sin of the Israelites was. Throughout God's people in the Old Testament, though they weren't indwelt by the Holy Spirit, we recognize a teaching from the New Testament that shows how God worked through them. In Galatians chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, I'll just read it. Verses 6 through 8 says, Even so, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Therefore, be sure that it is those who are of faith who are the sons of Abraham. The scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, all the nations will be blessed in you. In John MacArthur's commentary, he makes this statement on Galatians 3, 6 through 8. He says, all nations, Jews, Gentiles alike, are justified and blessed for the same reason Abraham was justified and blessed, their faith. That was the guiding and empowering strength God working through them was their faith. To be blessed means to be the recipient of all that divine love, grace, and mercy that he grants upon those who are in Christ Jesus. So now let's go to chapter 7 and verse 1. And the men of kiriath Jearim came and took the ark of the Lord, brought it into the house of Abinadab on the hill, and consecrated Eleazar, his son, to keep the ark of the Lord. Now why would they send it to kiriath Jearim? That's a... Question that many would ask Why not take the ark back to Shiloh? There's nothing revealed in the text at all about that. So there were some Jewish historians and scholars that did some research, and the tradition was that the Philistines, when they conquered the 30,000, killed the 30,000 Israelites, they sacked and destroyed the temple in Shiloh. We don't know that, but that's what the scholars, uh, the historical scholars tell us. <clears throat> in verse 2, 7 two, it says this, From the day that the ark remained at Curiaturium, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. So the ark remained at kiriath for a period of 20 years. kiriath apparently had the reputation that they were God's people. They served God, they worshiped God, and they were obedient to God. They had that reputation. That's why they chose that location for the ark of the covenant to be sent but now as we progress into this chapter we're going to see a new work that god is doing in his people israel an exciting work one that brought about a dramatic change in all the people of israel <clears throat> verse 2 From the day the ark remained at Kyriak (coughs) Jiriam, the time was long, for it was 20 years, and all the house lamented after the Lord. Now that word lamented uh, was interesting because I went through several commentaries on that just to see how it's rendered in this context. And one of the Reformed commentators by the name of H.D.M. Spence said this regarding his observation. The word lamented used here is rare, and all all the versions all differ in their translation of it. It has dual meaning. One, it conveys the sentiment of joyful returning of Israel to their Lord God Jehovah once again. The other is that they sought him with deep humility and repentance. They were having a change of heart slowly but gradually, end quote. So he, looking at that word, it emphasizes the deep work that God would do as they lamented after him. The, the Israelites were still under the oppressive tyranny of the Philistines. They plagued them. They attacked them. They did everything to try to destroy the Israelites. They hated the Israelites. And the Israelites resisted. Even though they feared these Philistines, they knew the losses that they had taken and how brutal they were in battle. And verse 3 says this, Then Samuel spoke to all the house of Israel, saying, If you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods and the Ashtaroth from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord, And serve him alone, and he will deliver you from the hand of the Philistines. What a great promise. But it was conditional. It was conditional upon what they did. God was ready to forgive them, but he wanted them to turn to him and fully, humbly repent before him. Turn from their sins. Turn from their idols and turned to him fully with all their hearts. <clears throat> so we see in verse 3, Samuel's back in the scene. Now, we haven't seen Samuel for several chapters. When he comes back, we remember back in chapter 4, now 20 years had passed. The ark remained there, Kiriath-Juriam, <clears throat> and all Israel mourned after Jehovah. But when Samuel told them this, if you return to the Lord with all your heart, remove the foreign gods, the Ashtaroth, from among you and direct your hearts to the Lord, serve him alone and he will deliver you. Everything was ready for change. The Philistines now recognize they served a holy God, a righteous God, And now they recognize that was their God, Jehovah. They wanted to serve him. The act of correcting their faults was done privately. It wasn't done collectively. They just didn't all stand up and say, you know, start repenting. But they, each individual came to repentance. It was an individual as it is always amongst God's people. It wasn't a collective, as this text might lead you to think, but it was them individually humbling themselves before God. Samuel knows that in order to lead the Israelites to victory against their enemy, they have to seek the Lord and put away their idols, the Astaroth and the other idols, He calls the Israelites to put away their idols and their foreign gods, as well as the Astaroth. Israel' repentance must be genuine before God. God will not give them victory. The foreign gods were sometimes represented in some kind of an idol. They are now called to take outward action, showing the turning away from their idols and repenting as well as destroying and forsaking their idols. Ashtaroth was the name of the goddess known in Canaan as Ashtar, which is associated with Baal, which was also one of the main idols of the Phoenicians. <clears throat> in chapter 4.3, uh, it's quite a contrast to what we read here. <clears throat> I'll read um, 4.2 and 4.3. The Philistines drew up in battle array to meet Israel. When the battle spread, Israel was defeated before the Philistines who killed about 4,000 men in the battlefield. When the people came into the camp, the elders said, of Israel said, why has the Lord defeated us today before the Philistines? Let us take to ourselves from Shiloh the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord, that it may come along with us and deliver us from the power of our enemies. These Israelites at that point were extremely unrepentant. They didn't care about turning their hearts back to God. They just wanted victory. So instead of reverencing the Ark of the Covenant, which was just a mere symbol of God's delivering his people from the Israel or from the Egyptians, they took it as a battering ram, not as a battering ram literally, but they took it as a token of God, some kind of item that would bring them success and victory. They did so with wicked hearts, and they were defeated. Yes, Rick. Yes, that was going to be one of my questions. Good. uh, Did you hear what Rick said? Uh, One of the questions is this. How does this correlate to today with the believers today? What kind of symbols do they idolize? What is it that sometimes Christians uh, embrace rather than seeking God himself? What idols do they put in their place? So, We'll ask that question at this point because that was one of the questions I wanted to ask in this text. So, give me some ideas. What is it that contemporary Christians sometimes put before God? Money, Money. Social, justice. social justice, politics, social justice, careers. excellent, careers. careers, social media. Think about that. all those things are things that are pleasing to the flesh, every one of them, not enhancements of our spiritual walk, but rather the focus on the temporal, rather the eternal. Good comments Yes would be anything that you would love more mm hmm No, good, good point. Lanny said, it's anything you actually put before God. Um, that's a good comment because we do have many things that we can enjoy that God has provided for us, but they aren't things that we put in front of God, nor do we put any kind of an emphasis on things or success, none of those before God. It is God that we seek first. And all those things would be added. So as we think of this, this is a warning to all God's people, not just the Israelites, but also to the church today. There's many things that are used by the enemy to draw our attention away. Anything that he can use. Media, entertainment, Wealth, health, all those things come in front of God. And there's preachers ready to grab that up, knowing how how much people covet things. The whole word of faith movement is anchored on that pretext. So in chapter 3, when Samuel called the Israelites to repent, we recognize this was a total repentance. They were going to destroy their idols, turn from them, forsake them, and turn to the God of Israel. In the book of Judges, the sons of Israel in chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, says this, Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals, and they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were around them and bowed themselves down to them. Thus, they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and served Baal and Ashtaroth, The very same things that they're doing right here in chapter 7. That's why they were called to repent. That's why Samuel brought them together and gave that admonition. One uh, Hebrew scholar historian uh, by the name of Joseph S. Exel makes this comment in his commentary on 1 Samuel. This must have been done by a public act in which the images of their Baals and Astaroths were taken from their shrines and thrown down and broken into pieces. These idols were worshipped throughout the eastern regions. So he believes historically, just from uh, traditions passed down, that they collectively gathered and they destroyed these idols. Now, some of these idols, this Astaroth that they worshipped, was an idol they thought brought them their successful crops. Isn't that something? Verse 4, So the sons of Israel removed the Baals and the Ashtoreth and served the Lord alone. The people of Israel responded to Samuel's call for repentance by putting away their idols and turning to God and God alone. <clears throat> Verse five, then Samuel said, "Gather all the Israel, all Israel, to Mizpah, and I will pray to the Lord for you. Now, Mizpah means watchtower. Now, a watchtower in that ancient society was an elevated structure that they put on a high, elevated position that they could see above their city in all directions. And they would have a watchman in the tower all the time. He would be watching all the perimeter areas for enemies. And if any enemies approached, he would warn those in the city so they could take protective measures. So that's what the watchtower is. But that was the name that was given to Mizpah. <clears throat> Mizpah was a city located somewhere around five to eight miles northeast of Benjamin. It was one of the cities which Samuel visited every year in his circuit. He would travel to all of the Israelite cities in the local area, and then he would return to his home in Ramah. But once a year, he would visit all the cities and of the people. Okay, the question that Rick asked was this. At this period of time, in the Old Testament, they did an overt act of bringing all their idols and destroying them. And in significance of that was showing that they were no longer going to put their trust in that. So Rick's question was this. How does that pertain to today? Today, we live under the new covenant. So... Our idols are of the heart. It isn't the outward so much. I mean, if we had anything that was a distraction, anything that would turn us from God that was an actual item, we would rid ourselves of it. Bad book or bag, you know, anything that would turn your head away from the Lord and distract you and to sin, basically. But for today, our hearts are what God wants. He wants us to turn to him with our total heart. None of that would matter to us if we're fully dedicated to God. Yeah, we have temporal things to take care of. We have conveniences, all those things, but they don't come before us in the way of blocking us from our Lord or changing our heart to the temporal. So if there's something tangible that is actually a distraction or something that would put your attention and draw it from God, get rid of it. But it isn't a legalism act. Like I've heard this text preach and they try to say, well, they all brought their televisions and all the stuff and they had a big bonfire and threw everything in. That's legalism because the heart could still go back to those things. So as we look at this, we want to make sure that we understand God looks upon the heart, not the outward. Yeah, if we're committing sin outwardly, deal with that. But this is what he's talking about here turn your hearts to the God of Israel. He was speaking to the Israelites. For us, we focus on our Lord. He is the one that empowers us to do his work, and he is the one that wants our hearts fully given to him. Good question. Did that answer it? Okay. Verse six, they gathered it. Oh, wait a minute. Yeah, okay. Six, they gathered to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, we have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the sons of Israel at Mizpah. Now there's a lot in this verse. And we have to break it down because here's the gathering that Samuel himself had called, which was very significant. Samuel had called them to this assembly, which was a very solemn assembly. And then he performed what is known as a water libation or water sacrifice, showing their true condition. This was pouring out of water upon the ground, since water is necessary for maintaining physical life, this represents Israel's confession that the Lord's favor was more important to them than life's sustaining water. That's what it represented. It was a symbol that life itself was nothing without their God. And that was the libation offering. <clears throat> However, this is the only time in all of Old Testament that this was done in a religious, uh, what they call convocation, which is a gathering of the entire, entirety of Israel people, Israelites. So it was done in a public gathering, collective gathering of Israel, this offering was made it was never done like that before we have an account in second samuel 23:16 we read this so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the philistines and drew water from the well of bethlehem which was by a gate and took it and brought it to david nevertheless he would not drink it but poured it out to the lord and he said Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Shall I drink the blood of the man who went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore, he would not drink it. So there, it was a private sacrificial offering on behalf of David because his three warriors, his three men, had gone through enemy lines to Bethel to get him water and crawled back out and brought it to King David. That was a sacrifice they did for their king. He wouldn't even take it. He poured it out as an offering to the Lord. So that was in a small group. It wasn't collective. <clears throat> On this occasion, they he knew the risk that they took, so he could not drink it. And when we look in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 9, as well as 13 through 14, verse 9, it says, Then God appeared to Jacob again when he came to Padan Aram, and he blessed him. God said to him, Your name is Jacob. You shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. And in verses 13 and 14, the same chapter, he says this, Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he had spoken with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured out a drink offering upon it. He also poured out oil upon it. So the libation offering could be water or precious oils. It's pouring out of a liquid to the Lord. So on this occasion, occasion it was a theophany. God appeared to Jacob, and this occasion God spoke to Jacob, and he set that pillar there as a remembrance of God's appearance to him and what he had said. In 1 Samuel 7, 6, the libation sacrifice was done in the form of a sacrificial offering, a symbol of Israel's contrition and repentance, saying this, We have sinned against the Lord, Following the sacrificial offering, we read, And Samuel judged the sons of Mizpah. Now, Samuel was the acknowledged ruler over Israel now. At this point, on this verse, identifies Samuel now as judge over Israel. So what does that consist of, the word judge? It's not in the typical sense that we would use that term. But this was the role of a judge. He would be ruler. He had a ministry over the people to preside over their affairs of all the Hebrews in this period, which he was after Joshua. And Israel, regarding both the civil authority as well as the mem- military authority. In other words, Samuel would deal with any of the civil issues amongst the Israelites or the military issues. He was their leader. He was recognized now by all of Israel. Now, let me ask this question. We've seen Samuel uh, in the previous chapters. What was some of his roles of service so far that we have seen Samuel take in this book? i give you a hint. There's three roles that he fulfills. Anyone? High priest. Well, he was a priest. He wasn't a high priest Eli? Michael said that. One of the roles that Samuel served was that he was a high priest. Now, you'll have to go back, in which I'll read in just a while, but... Samuel, remember Hannah? She was without without child. And what did she do? She prayed. She was weeping with sorrow because God had not granted her a child. So she prayed. But when she prayed, what did she do? Good. Good. Brian said this, she vowed to give, if God would grant her a son, she vowed to give him back to the Lord's service all his days. I'll read the text. It's in Samuel one ten. She This is speaking, this is Sarah, I mean, Hannah, excuse me, Hannah praying. She greatly distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. She made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on my affliction of your maidservant and remember me and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall never come to his head. Now, that razor never coming to his head was like a Nazarite vow setting him apart for the service of the Lord. So her prayer was answered. And what's the first thing that Hannah did after she weaned him? She took him to the tabernacle in Shiloh and put him under the teachings and tutelage of Eli, the high priest. So as we see this, his dedication started I mean, he was dedicated to God if God granted her that child. First thing she did when the child was weaned is take him to the tabernacle in Shiloh. So his first role was priest. What was his second role? Prophet, good. In chapter 3, verses 2 through 18, Samuel was given a prophetic call. He was given a prophecy from God. Now, it's unsure. I mean, in the text, it appears that he also had a theophany, or theophany. So, when God came to him, he went to Samuel first. He spoke to him. Remember, Samuel, and then Samuel woke. Well, yes, Lord. And he, who do you think it was? He thought it was Eli, but it was actually the Lord Himself. And he did it the second time and then the third time. And then Eli said, this was God, not me. So he knew that God was speaking to him. And when he gave him the prophecy, even though it was the doom of Hophni and Phineas, which were wicked people, he prophesied that they would be taken. And Eli, his answer, his response was, let it be done as he said. So he honored the, God, the Lord he served. What was the third role now? Judge. Now, so we have him serving as a priest, short period, prophet, just the prophecy he had given to Eli. Now, judge over all of Israel. He is recognized, respected. He was a servant of God. He was set apart from the mother's womb. He was a Faithful servant. So, as Samuel had become the acknowledged ruler, and the role of the judge in that period, of course, was ruling over the civil matters and the military matters, he took that. He took the responsibility. He wasn't afraid. He didn't back off. He just was able to be God's servant. <clears throat> In verse 7, we're probably not going to get through much more. Now, when the Philistines heard that the sons of Israel had gathered to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the sons of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. Two things here. One, they knew that they were gathered at Mizpah. Somebody had given them that information. They knew they were gathering there. It wasn't for battle. So what did they do? They were ready to attack. And what did the Israelites do? They were fearful. Why? Because they were brutal warriors. That's why. They knew what those uh, what those Philistines could do and how brutal they were, how many men they had lost. So their natural response was fear. Yes. No, at this time, Rick asked a good question. Do you think they were fearful because God was not going to back them? No, but they, remember, they were just freshly had turned their hearts to God. So they were also remembering back to the battle. 30,000 lost the second time. The first time, 4,000 brutally, and they fled. They didn't even stay in battle. They retreated. So the Israelites knew what what they were facing. And yet, Samuel was going to go before him. And we we're going to see another miracle of God here, which was indeed a miracle. <clears throat> when Samuel called the people of Israel to repentance, the Philistines somehow received the word of the assembly at Mizpah and decided to attack them. Instead of Utilizing the Ark of the Covenant, this time, they had already turned their hearts to God. Now, they were going to rely upon God. There was still fear. Isn't that human for us to fear? That kind of a ferocious warrior that we know we're going against? And yet, they knew that the only victory they'd have is Jehovah God that they served. Yes. So we, we, we trust God. We know in our, in our heads, but sometimes our hearts are fearful. Right. Good point. Nathal brought this out. It's an extremely important point. We know that God is sovereign over everything. And yet there are certain things we may be fearful of doing. Giving the gospel to a friend a neighbor, a relative, or a person you work with, you know that that's our God's command for us, but the humanness comes out. And sometimes we fear doing that. It is our own humanness. So here, it's easily understood. These men knew, and they had already faced battle against the Philistines. So even though they were fearful, they weren't going to try to turn... To the Ark of the Covenant or anything like that, well, it wasn't there anyway. But they were trusting in the God that they served. So what did they do? They were going to battle. In verse eight, then the sons of Israel said to Samuel, "Do not cease to cry out to the Lord our God for us, that He may save us from the hand of the Philistines." Here. And we're wondering was, what are they going to do, waver? Are they going to turn back to their idols? No. He, they called upon Samuel to intercede for them as their judge and leader, the now recognized leader, and that's exactly what he did. <clears throat> this was a proper response of the Israelites. Even though they feared the Philistine, they would still go to battle against them. Now, Samuel wanted to go before them in intercessory prayer. Um, this was not the same approach they took back in chapter 4, remember? In, in verse 10, it says, So the Philistines fought, in Israel and Israel was defeated, and every man fled to his tent. And the slaughter was very great, for there fell of israel 30000 foot soldiers that's fresh in their minds and they're still going to go out to battle not thinking about the ark but turning to the god that they serve <clears throat> time-wise it's 1018 we got some time Okay, we're going to stop here because I want to, th- these coming verses are really crucial. It's going to show what God does on behalf of those who turn to him with all their hearts. He is going to intercede on behalf of Israel to go against the Philistines. And he does so in a miraculous way. Let's remember as we look at this text, what can we apply here? Even though sometimes we fear to do what God's called us to do, our trust is in Him, not in our abilities or how articulate we may be. It is we serve a living God. His Spirit dwells within us, on every believer. He desires our humble hearts. He desires us to be repentant and turn to Him fully not partially, not one foot in the world and one foot in Christendom, but fully our hearts are to turn to Him. That's the relevance of this text for all people today. Thank you for listening to the latest podcast from Kootenai Church. If you'd like to learn more about Kootenai Church or to donate to our church ministry, you can do so online by visiting KootenyChurch.org.